0: Our first reading comes from 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through to 10. 1 Samuel 7, verses 1 through to 10. So the men of kidrath Jerem came to look upon the Ark of the Lord. They brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Elazar his son, to guard the Ark of the Lord. The Ark remained at Keredith,, Jerubim uh, a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Sam Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and Astroths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Astroths, and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah." and I will intercede for the to the with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted and they confessed, "We have sinned against the Lord." Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers and the of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard it, They were afraid because of the Philistines, and they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage with Israel in battle but that day the lord thundered with a loud thunder against the philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the israelites our second reading comes from 1 thessalonians chapter 1 verses 4 to 10 1 thessalonians chapter 1 verses 4 through to 10 for we know brothers and sisters loved by god that he has chosen you because our Gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, we know how you lived among how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message of the in the midst of severe suffering with joy and with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and archaea the Lord messages the Lord's message. Rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, for your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the, lo- the true and living God, and you waited for His Son, uh, as, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Here ends the second reading. Well, thank you again for uh,
1: having us. Thank you for your support. Uh, it has been an incredible blessing for us. Really encouraging to know that you've been, uh, well, some of you more recently praying for us, some of you for a very long time. Uh, Sarah and the kids are going to hang around. I'm going to rush off to Water Street. It's uh, new for me. We do have two, we actually a combined parish as well, but uh, we don't do this rush around. But it's actually really, I mean, it's nice to able to speak to everyone in one day. Um, I don't know, have you ever moved to a new area? Have you ever moved city? Have you moved to a a different part of Sydney? Sometimes when you move, the differences can be overwhelming. So when we arrived in Fairfield, one of the things we noticed was just how overtly spiritual and religious many people are. We spoke about that earlier. Uh, And you see it in the number of churches. I mentioned there's a lot of Middle Eastern people in Fairfield. Most of them are here as refugees fleeing ISIS. And they're refugees because they come from Christian backgrounds. It's often Eastern Orthodox, uh, Roman Catholic. And uh, each of those cultural groups have their own cultural church. And uh, it generally reflects their past culture. And for those people, their their church is a part of their identity, of who they are as they've come from overseas. One thing we notice on summer youth camp is that the younger generations in Fairfield, the children of those immigrants... They do tend to identify as Christian, but it's almost always superficial. Uh, They'd say Jesus is important, but don't really find they're able to quote a single Bible verse about Jesus. They wouldn't be able to articulate what Jesus' death means for them. But what is clear in Fairfield is that a lot of people do believe in good and evil. And they are worried about whether they're good enough. And they're worried about whether or not God will accept them particularly in the older generations, anyone older than me who still goes to church, they often go out of a kind of fear, hoping that going to church will protect them and their families. And so the rituals of church are very important for them. And I see people get quite worried if they miss the rituals of church. And so they love their ornate church buildings. They love the priests coming to bless their homes. And they love getting their ba- kids baptised as soon as possible in case something happens before they're baptised. But even with all the religious, r- religious rituals, sadly their faith can often still seem quite superficial. But to be clear, there are many who do love Jesus, but many others, it, it seems more like an insurance policy. So, Sarah and I, we joined the local Rural Fire Brigade. We wanted to get to know people in the area because a lot of our friends are still up here. We don't know many locals on our own. So, we've got to know them at the Rural Fire Brigade. Uh, you might have seen it in the picture. Uh, one of the, in one of the trucks, uh, up on the uh, sun visor, there's a little ornate picture of Jesus. And I guess it's there hoping that somehow that'll keep us safe if we're in a bushfire. And that's how many people around Fairfield see church. It's both part of their culture and how they view themselves but it's also something they hope will keep them safe and secure. And so there's a strange disconnect where they're confident because they put up that little picture without necessarily knowing the Jesus in the picture and what he's done to die to give them. Uh, That kind of approach to religion though it helps us understand 1 Samuel chapter 7 helps us understand what's happening to Israel so I'm going to read the first verse of 1 Samuel 7 and I'll show you what I mean 1 Samuel 7 verse 1 so the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the lord they brought it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to guard the ark of the lord Now, Israel's moving around the Ark of the Lord. I think you've seen that over the last few weeks. It's that special box that reminds them of God's promises to them. Do you remember what happened back in chapter 4 with the Ark? Uh, Israel and the Philistines were at war, and so Israel brought the Ark into their camp. I guess they thought, well, we've got the Ark. We'll be safe. We'll win. kind of reminds me of the little picture of Jesus in our fire truck. But for them, taking the ark didn't help them. In the end, Israel lost the battle. The Philistines captured the ark. And eventually, Israel got the ark back. But look at verse 2. It says, The ark remained at kiriath Jerem a long time, 20 years in all. So for those 20 years, Israel kept harassing... Oh, sorry, the Philistines kept harassing Israel. Israel constantly lived under fear of invasion. Israelites probably died protecting their homes from raiding parties. And so, verse 2 finishes. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. It is often hardship that brings people back to God, isn't it? I'm reading a book at the moment about this guy who lived for 27 years in the wilderness of the of northern United States. Uh, when he was on his own, he said he liked to read a lot. Someone asked if he took a Bible. He said, No, he's an atheist. But then he did comment, uh, Well, there is truth in the saying that there's no atheists in war. Uh, for him, in the bitter, cold winters, sometimes he knew he might freeze to death. And he said on those dark, cold winter nights, he prayed. I don't think he'd call himself a Christian. He's still an atheist, but isn't it interesting that in the times when people are reminded that they do need God's help? And it was in that desperation that caused Israel to turn back to the Lord. And so it sounds promising, doesn't it? But how is their relationship with God? The next verses help us think about what it means to really return to the Lord. I'll read verses 3 and 4. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs and commit yourself to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and Asherahs and served the Lord only. We well, you haven't heard about Samuel since chapter 3, when God called him. But now Samuel suddenly turns up on the scene because God has sent him to speak to the Israelites. And Samuel exposes the Israelites' duplicity. The Israelites have turned back to God because they realise they need God's help. But at the same time, their houses are still full of idols. Israel's living in in Canaan, and, and as they've lived there, they've become more and more like the Canaanites. They've taken on the Canaanite gods. And so their love for God is divided. And their trust of God is divided. Maybe they think, maybe God will help us, but let's just keep the idols just in case they can help us too. And so Samuel says, rid yourselves of those gods. serve the true God alone. See, coming to God means more than just crying out to him. It means recognising that he alone is God. He alone can satisfy us and protect us. It is a question of who do you trust? Thinking about idols, we, we see a lot of them in Fairfield. There's lots of Buddhist idols in, in the particularly Vietnamese restaurants. Uh, people will leave out offerings of fruit and incense on the sidewalk. But then when we see people from Buddhist backgrounds come to Jesus, they're actually really keen to get rid of the idols. When they come to know Jesus, they tend to completely turn away from those false gods the duplicity is more often more evident in people who have grown up in Christianish culture. Sadly, in Fairfield, a lot of the rituals we see around us in the churches feels more like idolatry, like the little picture in the fire truck. That picture is treated like an idol. It might well have been taken to a priest to get him to bless it before it was put up there. And people feel safer because they have that picture there. And they end up, in a way trusting in that picture rather than getting to know and be confident in Jesus for their good future. It's actually interesting also leaving Morunga and now coming back. We certainly see less idols around here, don't we? I wonder if that might change ever so slightly as there's more immigration into the North Shore. You might pick up more hints of it. But where is the duplicity in the hearts of people in warunga For those who live around here, what is it that people are likely to put their trust in? What's likely to divide their trust from God? You know the standard conversation question, what do you do? Kind of ask that if you meet someone. It's not till we move to Fairfield we realise there's another question people ask around here. I'm not sure if you've asked, I mean, I'm sure I've asked it in the past. Where did you go to school? Where are your kids at school? I'd encourage you to listen out for it. I've noticed it much more now that I've left, because in Fairfield, no one asks that question. Maybe they ask it if they're actually thinking, like, where are we going to send our kids to school for that? You know, while that decision making is going. After that, never comes up. Why is it a question on the North Shore? Because we often send our kids to school so they can get to university, where they'll make good friends, where they'll have a safe and secure future. Yeah, more for education. We're talking a lot about which high school to send our kids to because some of them in Fairfield are interesting, to say the least. But if Samuel came here here today, would he see our hearts as divided? For Israel, it was a lot clearer. It meant get rid of the idols. That's an easy thing to do. For us. I'm not suggesting we unenroll our kids from their schools. It's quite likely, actually, we're going to send our kids to a private school in in high school, but there is a goodness in education and savings and mortgages. So when does it become idolatry? When would it make God angry? Perhaps the idolatry is that we feel we can be self-sufficient and self-reliant. We can act like we have no need for the God who created us. When Israel replaced God with idols, they were saying that their idol is better than God, or at least equal with God. That piece of wood that they made, somehow they thought could substitute in for God. For us today, we, we can start believing that education and money, the things we've created, is, can sub in for God. And even in Fairfield, we're seeing a shift as people become more affluent. They are slowly buying their houses They're being distracted from knowing Jesus by the dreams of owning a house and getting a better job. And so it's actually becoming harder for people in Fairfield to want to know Jesus because they start believing that they already have everything they need without Jesus. So, as we're doing ministry in Fairfield, what is it that is going to help people return to the Lord? What is going to help us all not be divided in our love and trust of the Lord? What is knowing what God has done to bring us back to him and knowing how much more wonderful it is to live with him. The next verses of 1 Samuel 7 is all about Samuel leading Israel back to God. I'm going to go through those verses reasonably fast. As I go, think about what God is doing through Samuel to reconcile Israel's relationship with God and and think about the outcome of it all. So first of all, in verse 5, 5... Verse 5, Samuel says, he will intercede for Israel. And that's what Israel need. Their relationship with God is broken because they've worshipped the other gods. And God is angry with them. God's anger meant that they could not come before him. So Samuel is an intermediary between God and Israel, between those broken parties. And so what does he do? In verse 6, Samuel gathers together them at Mizpah. And they fasted. It says they poured out water. I think that's part of the fasting. They even fasted from drinking water. Samuel is helping them see that re- their returning to God means a genuine recognition that they know they've done the wrong thing and they're grieved at it. In verse five, seven, we then see the Philistine em- enemies threaten them again. And so this time, how does how does the Israelites respond? In verse 8, we see the people wholeheartedly returning to God. It says, Then they said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. See, finally at last, they're not hoping for God's help while at the same time having their idols just in case. No, this this time they're only looking to God for help. And so in verse uh, verse 9, Samuel sacrifices a lamb as a burnt offering to God. A sacrifice to cleanse Israel from their sin. And Samuel prays to the Lord. And we get these great words at the end of verse 9. The Lord answered him. And here's what God did in verses 10 and 11. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near and engaged in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the israelites i'll finish there there's an interesting little parallel here between these verses and what happened in chapter four in chapter four when as they met for battle back then when the philistines heard that israel had brought out the ark we're told that the philistines were scared but in the end of course the philistines defeated israel because god wasn't with israel This time, in chapter 7, as they go into the battle, Israel is the one who's scared. But this time, God defeats the Philistines for Israel. The difference is that in in chapter 4, Israel were arrogant. They were self-confident because they had the ark. They thought things would be okay. But over those 20 years, God has humbled them so that in chapter 7, they come to God recognising their great need. And so... They know that they do desperately need God. Sort of to commemorate the victory uh, in verse 12, God, uh, Samuel puts out a stone. It's kind of helpful, actually. We're just saying, uh, come thou fount. You know, there's that line, uh, my, uh, I raise my Ebenezer. It's like every 10 years you're going to do 1 Samuel 7. You can finally find out what this Ebenezer is. Uh, I didn't put in the reading. I probably should have. I'll read it for you. Uh, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shan and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. You see, what he's getting at is the last time they went to battle in chapter 4 was at Ebenezer, that was the name of the place. Now where they are, near Mizpah, God has rescued them. He's saying, this far he's rescued you from when you were idolatrous people not following God. He's rescued you all the way to be God's people by helping you get rid of the idols, by sending Samuel. think about why we as Christians sing that now in a a short time. But um, God has given them what they need. He protects them from the Philistines. He gives them back the towns they've lost and they live in peace. Do you see what God has given them? He's given them peace and safety and security, the things they wanted, the things they, because he's given them the leader they need. See, Israel was at war, but they didn't need a great general. They didn't need an economic genius. They needed a leader who would lead them in living as God's people. And so this day we read about in 1 Samuel 7 is a great day because God gave them Samuel. And after that, verse 15 says that Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. And so things were good for Israel for the, for the rest of Samuel's life. There's a hint about problems coming up for Israel. See, God gave them Samuel as a leader, but what happens when he dies? I guess you'll have to find out next year when you come back to 1 Samuel 8. A little bit of a hint. Their history turns into a yo-yo, up and down. When they have a leader who follows God, things go well. When they have a leader who abandons God, things go terribly. And so that's why the Old Testament is always looking forward to a greater leader. See, as I was describing Samuel, I wonder if you noticed there's hints of that being a description of Jesus, what he's done for us. There's no accident God gave Samuel to show us what a leader looks like for God's people so that when we see Christ Jesus, we recognise why Christ Jesus is so good. So, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus came warning people, repent, turn back to God, repent and believe the good news. And his whole life was leading to his death on the cross where he died as the once for all sacrifice for sin. And he rose back from the dead so he now rules over everything as the ultimate leader over every power and authority and he's seated at the right hand of God where he continues to intercede for us. And so we sing, we raise our Ebenezer to to remind us where God has brought us from. Our is not a stone, it's, I guess it's, what is it, Christ Jesus on the cross. He's saved us from sin and brought us to being God's people. And he promises a future where there will be no more pain or suffering, a future of peace, living with God forever. Can you see how Samuel is a shadow of Christ Jesus? Can you see how someone's shadow? You get an, you'll see their shadow, you get an idea of what they look like, but you have to see the person to see them in all their glory. And so he's the leader we all need. The leader who will lead us to God. He's the leader we need in Fairfield. My friends on the fire truck need to put away that picture and actually get to know Jesus. The people going to church in Fairfield out of fear, they need to know that when they know Jesus, when they live with Jesus, there's nothing to fear because they have a good relationship with God through Jesus that they long for and for those of us who are affluent. That is exactly what we need as well, isn't it? We need to keep getting to know Jesus. There's no surprise in it. He's the leader God has given us. He's the one leading us back to God. And so the more we understand the depths of the sin he's led us out of, and the more we contemplate the cost of his sacrifice for us, and the more we anticipate how good the future will be with him, the more we'll love Jesus. The more we'll grow to be satisfied and trust in him alone. The more we'll be thankful that we have Jesus as our Lord. And that's going to make every other idol seem small and foolish. So pray for us as we try and help the people of Fairfield get to know the Jesus they talk about but don't always know. And pray for Runga that they'd get to know the Jesus that very likely they possibly ignored and so return to him and follow him. See, how wonderful is it to see God give Israel the leader they need so that they can return to the Lord. How much more wonderful it is to have the leader God has given us in Christ Jesus and to see how wonderful it is when we return to God and when we see others return to God and find eternal life in him as well. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us how great Jesus is. Even long before he came in the life of Saul, thank you for showing us what kind of leader and Lord and saviour he is. We pray that you would fill us with such awe and wonder at who he is, that following him would fill us with such joy and hope as we look forward to eternity with him. Father, we pray for those who don't yet know him or who are distracted or divided in their love for him. Help them see Christ Jesus. Help us show them Christ. Thank you for our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.